Kat, will you read the scripture today? Thank you. It's an honor to read this. Today's scriptures come from the book of Psalms, chapter 23 and John 10, verses 1 through 14. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of the righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 10, verses 1 through 14. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still, steal, and kill and destroy. Here comes my southern. <laughs> I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Uh, as I said, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks, so it's fun to be back. And we're finishing up our sermon series that we've been in for seven weeks. This is the seventh week where we've looked at Psalm 23, this really, really famous passage of Scripture that even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not familiar with church, you, you probably know parts of Psalm 23. And we've spent seven weeks just pulling out stuff. And guys, we could spend seven more. Just There's so much stuff in there. But we're going to kind of close up the sermon series today. By the way, you don't want to miss next week uh, because I've been thinking a lot about what we're going to talk about next week. And it's something that you struggle with. It's something that I struggle with. It's something that we really need an answer for because it's a problem I have. It's a problem you have. It's a problem in your home that you're trying to figure out. And really, for all of us, it's a problem that we have with the Lord. If we could put that next slide up, this is kind of like, this is the, the hard part is there's often a gap between what we say and what we do. Isn't that true? There's always like a gap there between what we say, especially what we say we're going to do, and then what we actually do. There's, there's a gap when your kids say that they're going to do something, but then they don't actually do it, and you're frustrated about that gap, you know? Um, you're frustrated about it in other relationships, but, you know, you see it in yourself, too. There's something in us where there's this gap. Next week, next week, I just want to share with you guys about there's something about following Jesus and there's some secrets in there that help us close the gap. That's next week. You don't want to 
don't want to miss it. Uh, but this week, we're bringing it in for a landing, talking about Psalm 23. And uh, really, this has been a whole sermon series really about identity. Um, people have an identity crisis in our culture. There's, there's a lot of people just asking the question, who am I? What does it mean to be me? Um, I actually got online last night. I went to wikihow.com, and I found, check it out. You can go online, and I found the article, How to Resolve an Identity Crisis in 14 Easy Steps. All right? You're welcome. Okay? I did the heavy lifting for you. Because, see, our culture has an idea of how to deal with your identity, how to give you an identity, or how to deal with an identity crisis. Our culture has plenty of, uh, plenty of ways for you to answer that question. I pulled out a few. You want to know what some of the 14 steps were? Here's what some, some of them were. It's first, you explore your identity. You examine your interests. You visualize your best possible self. You find your passions, and then after that, you strive to achieve them, right? You kind of, you go out and you try to accomplish your dreams. This is kind of typical language for what our culture says. Hey, if you want an identity, this is what you got to do. But what we've been saying over these weeks is that Christianity, following Jesus, when you start following Jesus, there's a different approach. See, this approach right here is, is, is inside out. First, you look in. You look in at your stuff, and then you figure out who you are. But Christianity has a different approach altogether. It's an outside-in identity. And, you know, uh, some people say that they have a spirit animal. Has anybody ever thought about, like, maybe what your spirit animal would be? I don't know. Um, I've never thought of it, but I feel like if I had a spirit animal, I would pick something like a lion or a cheetah, right? Or like a wolverine. Ooh, that's a good one, right? If you had a spirit animal, you know, people say they have spirit animals. Um, uh, and normally you'd pick like a, like a cool animal or a cute animal, right? You'd pick like some, something exciting to have as your spirit animal. Uh, but the scripture says something about you and me that's really, really um, insulting and it's liberating. The scripture has something to say about you and me. The scripture says that you and I are like this. That our relationship to God is very similar to a relationship between a sheep and a shepherd, and this is hard for us. We don't like it because it is a little bit insulting. It's like a divine insult because it's not nice to call people sheep because you know what? Sheep have a tendency to be pretty dumb. <laughs> sheep have a tendency to get lost very easily. Sheep can't really defend themselves. Sheep just, they, they wander, they follow their appetites. We've, we shared before that like sheep can actually do this thing where they get cast and it means that their, their, their wool gets so heavy that they literally fall over and they can't get up. <laughs> And they will die in the field because they can't get up. The shepherd has to come help. And so that's insulting for us to think that God calls us a sheep. But it's actually liberating because, here's why. Because the only way that you'll ever look out to a shepherd is if you come to the realization that you're a sheep. If you see yourself as a shark, you won't look to a shepherd because sharks don't need shepherds. If you look at yourself like an eagle, you won't look out to a shepherd because eagles don't need shepherds. It's actually this beautiful thing that happens. It's this humbling thing that happens when, when to follow Jesus. It starts with you just acknowledging, I cannot do this on my own. A sheep needs a shepherd. A sheep needs a shepherd. Now, in case you're here and you're thinking like, ah, that's, yeah, that's like, like, that's nice for religious people. Like, they need a shepherd, like, you know, because they're kind of weak-minded, you know, like, I don't need a shepherd. I'm strong. Here, here's what you got to realize. You got to realize this affects all of us because listen, you will be shepherded by something. Make no mistake, you will be shepherded by something. If it's not the good shepherd, it's going to be your past, 
It's going to be your decisions from your past. It's going to be wounds from your past. You're going to make all your decisions based on what happened back there. And basically, you're being shepherded by the past. You're going to be shepherded by your need for money. You're going to be shepherded by your need for relationship. You're going to be shepherded by, you know, wanting to get other people's approval. You're going to be shepherded by trying to get your parents' approval. You, you will be shepherded by something. And so why not? And so we've taken this whole sermon series, and I know I'm kind of recapping, but we've just taken this whole sermon series and said, why not? Why not investigate what it looks like when you let God, who claims he's the good shepherd, what if he was the good shepherd? What, what would that mean for us? And what would that look like for us? So that's what we've been doing this whole time. And, uh, and so I'm excited to kind of finish where we started. Uh, because um, this passage that we read, this passage that Kat read, really famous passage, Psalm 23, and then this John 10, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they've got questions about who God is, and they're confused. And so Jesus has to use a metaphor for them, and he says, listen, here's what it's like. It's like, I'm the good shepherd, and here's how the good shepherd cares for the sheep. And you notice in that passage of scripture, it says that the good shepherd knows, calls the sheep by name. That the good shepherd calls the sheep by name. Three things this morning, just these are my big points, all right? Here they are. Number one is you need someone to name you. You need someone to name you. Number two is only the Lord Jesus should name you. And then lastly, Jesus has earned the right to name you through his grace, okay? You need to be named by somebody. You will be named by somebody. Um, you, need to be, you need someone to name you. Second, only the Lord Jesus should name you and then... Jesus has earned the right to name you through his grace. So, okay, first, you need someone to name you. Uh, names mean a lot, right? Uh, your parents probably named you the name that they named you for a reason. Their, your name probably has a meaning that your parents looked up online and said, I like this, all right? Some of your parents were cruel and named you some strange names. Um, my, my name, uh, and, oh, and, you know, pe people's names have always had significance. Like, even back and a long time ago, when you did some accomplishment, it got added to your name, you know? So you would have all these other names. Like, think about Babe Ruth, right? Babe Ruth, ha Babe Ruth has all these names. He's such a good baseball player, right? He's the Sultan of Swat, the, you know, the great Bambino, the, you know, you saw, you saw, um, you know, Sandlot, come on. Um, the Mother of Dragons, right? The, un I, is that one of them? Um, whatever. A name, it signifies, it signifies that, you, that you've done something significant in your life. My name, Brooks, it, I, um, I hated that my name was Brooks growing up because it was just different. Nobody else was named Brooks. In fact, there's still not that many people named Brooks out there. So whenever I meet them, I always am instant friends with them. In fact, you guys got to know this. There's four other Brooks Rices out there in the world on Facebook, and I'm friends with all of them. And we, and we message each other on each other's birthdays, and we're like, what's up, Brooks Rice? Happy birthday. It's super fun. Um, but my name means refreshing one, refreshing one. And my parents chose that for, for that reason. When we were naming our kids, you know, we looked at the names, and we made decisions based, you know, off, off the meaning of the names. I remember before we had our first son, we really liked the name Wyatt. We really liked Wyatt. And so we're like, we're going to do Wyatt. And then we thought about it, Wyatt Rice, Wyatt Rice. And we're like, no. <laughs> We dropped the name Wyatt pretty quick. We're like, ah, that's a weird one. Uh, but names, names have a lot of meaning. And like I said, some people's parents are cruel, and they name their, parent, their, their kids weird things. You know, Frank Zappa is, you know, famously, he named his kids, his three kids, Moon Unit, Dweezil, and Diva Thin Muffin. Okay, those are real names that his kids have to walk around with. Thankfully, you can change your names. Kind of like uh, I, did, I took the liberty of going online and finding some other fun names. You guys ready? 
This will be fun. All right, check it out. These are real people, all right? I don't know if you can see that it's kind of dark, but this lady, her name is Cherry's Waffles Tennis, <laughs> which it's like you take all your favorite things in the world and just like clump it into a name. Maybe her parents really like Cherry's Waffles and Tennis. What's, what's the next one? There's some good ones in here. There's Chris P. Bacon. These are real guys, all right? That's a great name. This one, Batman Superman. If you can, like, name yourself anything, if you can, that would be a great one to turn it. This is, this is Crystal, Crystal Methven. That's a bummer. Um, this lady's from Hawaii. It's Janice Kikihula, you know. Hey, Macarena, you know. I don't know. This was funny. This is Christian Guy, which would be ironic if he was Buddhist or something, right? <laughs> be kind of funny. And then, uh, oh yeah, and then uh, don't go to the next one yet. Stay right here. Here's Pterodactyl. That's for real. Um, but then some people have names that fit, that fit their profession perfectly, you know? Uh, here's a few of these. This one's a lawyer named Sue Yu. <laughs> I'm not making this up, people. Uh, this was a gastroenterologist called Dr. Seymour Bum. Really? I feel like... I feel like it's got to be fake. And then uh, for this one, this one makes me laugh. It's just a fire, a fire lieutenant named Les McBurney. I just think that's funny. Uh, uh, names mean a lot, right? All right, they carry a lot of significance. Uh, we all know that. Uh, your identity, uh, it, your name is a part of your identity. I want to talk, I just want to land the plane talking about identity because this is where we started this whole sermon series. And by the way, we talk about identity a lot here at Westside. I feel like I hit on it a lot, but the reason why is just because, is because we believe that transformation through the gospel happens on the inside and it, trans, and it slowly transforms outward. It doesn't always start with your behavior. It starts with a heart thing and, and then it spreads out into your behavior. Trying to transform your life outward in, starting with your behavior, won't always work. In fact, it, in fact it's, it's proven to not work. Starting from out, outward in, it won't necessarily get to the heart. And so if we can just start with our identities we just know it has the p- potential to transform us all the way out. Uh, but what's, there's a couple parts of our identities that are important to us. Uh, uh, there's a sense of self and a sense of, of, of value or a sense of worth. Okay, this is two big things that we need to have an identity. A, a sense of self and a sense of value or a sense of worth. So you need a sense of self, meaning that you need to have sort of like a core in you that is truly you, that, is, that can stay consistent between all of the different hats that you wear right? You are a father, you're a mother, you're, you know, you're, um, you're a firefighter, you, you know, you do all these things, you have all these different titles attached to your name. And if there's no core, a sense of self in all that, then you can easily sort of get lost in all those things. You need to have a sense of self that kind of stays consistent through all of those different parts of who you are. And then you need a sense of worth, a sense of value. Where do you get, where do you get your value from? Like where do you get your sense of like that I matter and that you know that that uh, that I, I belong here in this world and that there's something important to do? Where do you get your sense of self and your sense of worth? I bring that up because every culture throughout history sort of has a way of of answering those questions for us. It has a way of answering those questions for you and for me. Every 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 culture sort of has a way to give us all a sense of worth and a, and a sense of and a sense of self. And what I want to I just get concerned. I get concerned for my own heart. I get concerned for, for my family's heart, for my kid's heart. 
I get concerned that sometimes, that sometimes, or maybe often, we, even though we say Jesus is Lord and King of my life, that too often we let our culture define for us what our sense of worth and what our sense of self is. And we walk around proclaiming Jesus, but yet then we don't let Jesus, we don't let Jesus name those things in us. We let our culture name those things in us. There's two, typically two different, we're going to do a little anthropology here for a second. There's two different sort of kinds of culture throughout history. This is big and broad, okay? But there's, uh, there's what's called traditional cultures. And then what we could kind of describe as our culture today is, is a modern culture. There is traditional cultures and modern cultures. There's still many traditional cultures today. They're usually in the East. They're more in kind of traditional cultures. Um, we in the West tend to have very modern individ, individualistic culture. But it's really indicative of lots of different cultures throughout history, that there's traditional ones, and kind of in this season, we're in this modern culture. And what would happen if you were in a traditional culture? Your sense of self, your sense of worth, would come from your place that you have found in the community. So in a traditional culture, um, you find your sense of self by the job that you were given in the community. Maybe you have, a, you have a role to play. You have a vocation that you're supposed to f do within the community. And, and if you fulfill that role, then that gives you the sense of self. And so in a traditional culture, the, the, the community around you is the, is the sort of the, the group of people that bestow an identity onto you. They name you. You're kind of born into it. You know, so there was a time where if, you're, if your parent was a potter, then you would be a potter, you know? Um, if your parents were farmers, then you would probably take over the family farm and you'd be a farmer too. And that's really indicative of a, of a, of a traditional culture. And so you get your sense of worth and your sense of self from, from fitting into the community. Now, our modern culture is very, very different. It's very different. Our modern culture says, no, 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 you don't get your identity from the community. You get to name yourself. You get to come up with who you are from the inside. So first you look to your dreams, you look to, you, you know, like, like WikiHow taught us how to do in 14 Easy Steps, is you gotta look in and you gotta decide what your dreams are. And then when you figure out those dreams, then you need to actualize them. Then you need to express them. And then you gotta express those things and that's what's gonna make you truly free. Because for the, modern, for the person in modern culture, the idea of traditional culture, where somebody sort of bestows a name on you, that sounds so rigid, that sounds so stifling. No, 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 we're, we're modern people, we're individuals, we're free from all of that kind of old tradition stuff. And that's the kind of culture that we live in today. What's funny, what's funny is that, and, and ironic actually, is in traditional cultures, in traditional cultures, the heroic narrative was one of self-denial. See, in a traditional culture, you don't just follow your own dreams. No, no, you figure, out, you figure out what's best for the community. And you might need to sacrifice some of your dreams to accomplish what's best for the community. And in traditional cultures, that's called a hero. It's called a hero. But this like individualism, this thing where I'm gonna do my own thing, even in spite of like what the community says, what's funny, in traditional cultures, that's called villainy. That's the anti-hero. But in our culture, it's completely different. To be free, to be a hero, to truly be yourself, then that means you gotta look inside and you have to decide for yourself who you are and you gotta name yourself. That's what our modern culture tells us that we have to do. And I just wanna tell you that some of those things about what our culture tells about us, we take it at face value. We just think that that's the way it is. And a lot of times, the way that our cultures give us an identity is invisible to us. It's just invisible, we can't really see it. And so I just, today I just, I wanna help make it a little bit visible. And what I wanna do is I wanna show you that the, the traditional way and the modern way, 
Both of those are based on your achievements. You have to achieve something in both of those models in order for you to have a sense of self and a sense of worth. And Christianity has a way of giving you an identity that is way better than both of those routes and more durable and more beautiful than all of those routes. Christianity comes in and has a different way of doing it that's not based on your achievement. But first, let's take a minute and let's do a little critical thinking about our own current culture, okay? This, this modern culture that we live in that says, you got to name yourself, otherwise you are not free. Um, I got to tell you that you, you can't name yourself. It won't work. It'll break apart. You need someone to name you. You can't name yourself. You can't get an identity from just finding it. It's got to come from somewhere outside of us. And let me give you some reasons why, okay? Naming yourself, coming up with your own identity, looking in before you look out, it will never work for a couple reasons. And there's more than this, but um, here's a few. All right, first of all, it's unstable. It's unstable for you to name yourself, to look in and name yourself. It's unstable because um, when you look inside you, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I know enough people and I know enough about the world to know this, about I think all of us in the room, that when you look inside you, you'll notice that you have desires and you have feelings that are like, that go like this, right? Anybody, is it just me? Nobody's married to somebody like this, probably not. Don't, don't elbow anybody right now. I mean, I don't know, when you look inside, do you see like, these, like this stableness that's just like this rock solid, nothing, something never changed, and you can kind of build your identity on that? No, because all of us look inside, and what do we see? There's, things are unstable, man. You build, you, you, you build your identity on something inside and say, this is who I am. It's going to change next week. It's going to change in an hour because it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down. It's unstable to build an identity like that. Um, that's why sometimes when I do marriage counseling and I'm sitting with people and we're talking about marriage and sometimes one of the things that I hear is, is you know, pastor, so frustrated because we got married and, you know, she was one way, but you know what? We've been married for a few years and guess what? She changed. She changed. And she's like, I changed. You changed, you know, and you're like pointing fingers and like, I'm not the one. You're, you're the one that's changed. And I just kind of wait in there and I'm like, yeah, guess what? That's, that's how it's supposed to work. We change. I mean, human beings, we, we change. In fact, if you're not changing, then that means you're stunted. That means that there's like, there's arrested development there. If we're not developing and changing. So of course things are changing. That's just kind of how our natures work. It's unstable to name yourself. Number two, it's incoherent. It's incoherent. And the reason is because our deepest feelings and desires, if you notice when you look inside yourself, do you know that they contradict each other? Not only do they move up and down, but they contradict. I want to be married, but I want a career. You know, I, you know, which one? Which one do I want more? And so we think that like, well, we'll just sort of, you know, find the one that I want most deeply. But again, like point number one, those things change. And so those things are competing values. And so it's incoherent. Where, which one do I pick as like my core, my sense of self, my true identity? It'll never work because those things are in there. You're going to have to pick and choose something because they're competing. We, we'd like to think that they're nicely ordered, but they're not. They're not. The other reason why it'll never work to name yourself is that it's never truly authentic. It's never truly authentic. We would like to think, you know what, I'm going to look inside and I'm going to be the authentic me. Like I'm going to find the real authentic me. Nobody can tell me who I am. I'm going to be the real me on the inside. And 
But if you think about it, here's what you got to do. There's, like we've said already, there's multiple desires in here. There's multiple things that you want. And so what, you know what you're going to have to do to sort of pick an identity for yourself is you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose something. And we'd like to think that we're making a free choice, but really every culture has a way of defining, every culture has a grid for helping us and sort of telling us which things to pick in our identity and which things not to pick in our identity. That we not, we're never as free as we think we are when we look inside and say, I'm going to be my true authentic self. Ah, actually, actually you're, actually you're not. Actually, you're fitting in with what the culture is already telling you to do. do you, anybody was alive in the 70s or, you know, the 80s? Remember, remember it's like, hey, I'm going to be against the man. I'm going to have a mohawk, right? Or I'm going to wear my clothes inside out and backwards. That's what I did in my generations. <laughs> Crisscross, all right? They wear their clothes inside out and backwards. I'm going to be so different and cool. And then you show up to school and, like, Half the school is wearing their clothes inside out and backwards. And you're like, oh, wait, I was trying to be so unique. It turns out I'm just being like everybody else. But our culture has a way of sort of telling us. So here's an example, okay? Um, here's an example. Is picture you're, you're, it's a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago, and you're, uh, you're in uh, Anglo-Saxon sort of a world over, over in, in Europe area. It's a thousand years ago, and you're a soldier, Okay? You're a soldier, and you're walking around, and you notice some things inside you. Maybe you're from France, okay? I don't know. Maybe you're from France, and maybe, like, your tribe, whatever your tribe is, you know, you're, you're from this certain tribe, and that's, like, you know, that means a huge deal. You're going to say, man, that's who I am. I'm French, you know, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of this group, a part of that group. You would say, that's who I am. And then you also look in, and you see some anger inside of you. You've had it since you were a kid. You've got some anger. You just love to smash things. Right? You, just love, you just love to get out your aggression. And as a soldier, it, you could look at yourself and be like, man, that's me. <laughs> oh, that is so me. I just love to smash things. And then you look inside, you look inside and you see same-sex attraction. You see same-sex attraction inside. And if you're a thousand years ago a soldier in France and you see that inside, you're going to look at that and say, ah, maybe that's a, that's a part of me, but that's not me. That's not me. I'm, I'm French, and, I, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going to express that anger because that's who I am, but same-sex attraction, that's, that's not me. Okay, fast forward a thousand years to a young man walking around U of O campus. He's walking around U of O campus, and he looks inside, and he sees all sorts of competing, you know, he sees some feelings and stuff in here. He looks inside, and he says, he says I'm part of the U of O. That's cool. Go Ducks. But he's not going to say, like, I, you know, like, this is who I am, right? He's not going to do that. And he's going to look in, he's going to see some anger issues. He's going to see some anger, and he's going to say, oh, I need some counseling for that. That's not me. I need to work on that. And then he's going to look in and see same-sex attraction, and he's going to, what is he going to say in our culture today? He's going to say, that's me. That's me. What's going on here? What is this? I'll tell you what's going on. It's because every culture, every different culture has some sort of a way of telling us, prescribing to us what the most important, important part, piece of us and so we'd like to think that we're freely choosing. We'd like to think that I'm being so authentically me when really I'm just doing, I'm just playing into exactly what our cult, my culture says I should do. I'm playing into exactly to what the people trying to make money off of, my, off of their products are trying to make me do. And I feel all authentic when really I just, I'm not at all. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of marching to the beat of somebody else's drum. Naming yourself is never truly going to get you to a place where you're authentically you. Somebody is somewhere is always going to name you. And then the last thing is this, is it's crushing. To name yourself, to give yourself an identity is crushing. 
It's incredibly crushing. Because think of it. If it's your job to give yourself a name, and if it's your job to come up with with an identity, it sounds like freedom. It sounds like, woohoo, I'm being me. But really, at the end, it's crushing. Because, Because you better achieve it. You better make it. Because if your sense of self and sense of worth is wrapped up in you being a superstar, if you want to be a great singer, you're going to be a famous singer. That's your dream. You you better get there. You better get on The Voice. You better get noticed. You better get a recording deal. Because if not, you'll be crushed. You'll have no sense of self. You'll have no sense of value and worth. Remember, remember uh, Chariots of Fire, famous movie? There's, there's this guy, this Olympic athlete, and he's got this famous line where he's about to go out on the Olympics and run the 100-meter dash, and he says this. He goes, he goes, when I hear that gun go off, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. I've got 10 seconds to prove to the world that I'm somebody, that I'm valuable, that I matter, that I have a self, that I have an identity, and that is so crushing. If your identity is wrapped up in your athleticism, you better not get injured. If your identity is wrapped up in getting into the NFL, you better get drafted. You better get there. If if you don't, you're going to be lost. And so many people are lost. So many people, guys, are floating around just depressed and sad and anxious and angry at God. God, why didn't you get me to the draft? God, why didn't you get me that somebody? And it's because when you name yourself, you better achieve it. And when we don't, we're so deflated. We're so sad. We're so lost. What do we do with that? Listen, this is where Psalm 23 comes in. This is where this whole sermon series that we've been talking about for weeks come in. This is where the good shepherd shows up and he says, I know your name. Why why does the shepherd know the sheep's name? Because the shepherd named the sheep. The shepherd knows the sheep's name because the shepherd named the sheep. The shepherd says, I know who you are. This is who you are. Here comes Christianity and is different than It's different than traditional cultures because in traditional cultures, sure, you get your identity from the community, but you better live up to it. You better be a good potter. You better be a good son. You better be a good daughter. You better fit in because if you don't, you're not going to have a sense of self and you're not going to have a sense of value. In modern culture, you name yourself, you better achieve it. Both of those things are based on achievement. It's an identity that's that's achieved, not received. And here comes Jesus, the good shepherd, and he's stepping into our lives and he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, listen, listen, let me name you. Let me name you, please. Because my identity that I give, it's not an identity that is achieved. It's an identity that's what? Received. I'm gonna give you a name. And here's my name for you. Beloved, you matter. I love you. I'll never leave you. Never alone. I'm, and here's what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Actually, I brought, I brought these up here, so I better use them. Um, 
I remember I was, uh, I was a youth pastor for a couple years, and I, re- I remember one conversation, and it's a conversation I've had in all sorts of different ways over the years, but I remember this one conversation. It was after youth group, and I remember talking with a girl, and she was uh, a girl in the youth group, and she was just distraught. She was sad. She goes, hey, I'm, I'm depressed, you know? So I said, hey, man, t- talk to me about that. And, uh, you know, we started talking about just, you know, her life, and and uh, we started talking about her faith in Jesus. And she, and she had faith in Jesus. She, she loved Jesus. Jesus was a part of her life. But here's what she said to me. She said, she said Pastor, yeah, I, I'm grateful for my relationship with God. I, I love God. But, but what good is a relationship with God if a boy won't ask you out? Like, what good is it if a boy isn't going to ask you out? And I just... And I realized in that moment that, you know, her life, like all these different things about her, that her, her faith in Jesus is definitely one of those things. But it's, it's like somewhere in the middle of the deck. It's somewhere inside here somewhere. And maybe, and maybe it's even close to the bottom. That the thing that really matters is really is I just need to be liked by someone else. That's the thing at the top of my deck. And what I realized is that for all of us, for all of us, that we have to take our faith in Jesus. We have to take the good shepherd who calls us by name and we have to get it to the top of the deck. There's a lot of other things in here that make up our identity and that inform our values and, and our lives. But how do we get our faith in Jesus and we, how do we get it to the top of the deck? Isn't that what you, I mean, I want this. I get frustrated when I look at my life and I reassess things and I realize, I mean, other things are at the top of the deck. How do you get it to the top of the deck? How did this, how should this gal, she's going to get over this depression. She's got to get her, her, her identity, her, her foundational root of who she is. She's got to get it to the top of the deck. How do you do that? Four things. Four things, just as practical as I can be. Um, four things. One is this, is first you've got to believe that he died for you. you just got to believe that he died for you. The passage that Kat read, what did it say? It says, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know your name. And he says, and I'm not just going to show up and give you a name. Jesus says, I'm not just going to show up and say, let me name you. Jesus is going to come. And remember what the shepherd does? The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This isn't some abstract idea like, oh, just God will give me a name. No, no, no. God earned once and for all the, the right to give us a name. Not by just naming us, but by coming down and show us how committed he was to it. And he died on the cross. Jesus is the only shepherd that knows what it's like to be a sheep. God of the universe became a sheep. And not just a sheep, he became a sacrificial lamb. A sacrificial sheep. A lowly sheep. And he died on the cross for you and for me. If, you, if, you, if you're going to get that card to the top of the deck, it's just got to start with, to Jesus do what he said he did? Did he die on the cross for me? Did he pay my sin? Did he pay that penalty for me? That's where it starts. The next thing is this, is you got to let it sink down into your core. You got to let it sink down into your core. And this is where grace comes in. I know I've shared this story before, but I was on a mission trip to Africa. And I remember we went, we went up hours in this car up to this little tiny village in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, we're like, like the white people there, you know, and it was like felt kind of awkward. And, but they're like, but they treated us with such kindness. And, and we, this huge meal that they had prepared for us, they had goat. That's the first time I've had goat. And we're just like crouching, eating the goat. And they had all these different foods. And it was, and they danced and, and it, was, it was super fun. And they just did all that for us. 
We were just their guests. And then we left. And we're like three hours away. We're literally, we, we've, it's in our rearview mirror three hours. And we're, we're headed back to our place. And then our translator guy was talking to us. And it just kind of slipped out. It was kind of like, wait, wait, what, what, did, what, did, what did you say? And our translator said, yeah, they, that, was, that meal, that cost three months wages for them. And we're like, like, stop the, wait, stop the car. Three months wage it for us? For like little us? We couldn't believe it. And we were so embarrassed because you know how we left? We were like, bye, great time. You know, see you later. God bless. And we just get in the car. And we, we were like, ask the translator, hey, can we turn around? Are we allowed to go back? Because they, need, they deserve something much better than just a wave and a goodbye. We want to hug them. We want to thank them. That's tremendous. I mean, it changed our perspective. Well, how incredible. And when you look and when you see the grace that Jesus has poured upon your life, it'll start to do something in your heart. And instead of just treating God like this with high fives every other Sunday or so, suddenly it does something. You're like, oh my gosh. What he did for me. It gets into your emotions, that grace. It gets into your imagination. That's what it needs to get. It needs to go from here to here. Number three is you need to apply it regularly. Like sunscreen. You need to apply it regularly. It's not one of these things where you just, where you just say like, okay, I got God's grace and I'm going to put him at the top of the deck and then you kind of you know, reassess in a month. No, it's like you, you apply the gospel over and over and over and over again every day. Every morning, you're just, every, every time you're tempted to just have the truth about who you are, just shuffle down into the deck and everything else wants to get put over the top, you just got to stop and say, no, that's not how it is. Let's reshuffle. Let's put this here. You got to apply it over and over and over and over again. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door at the, at the church that launched the Reformation, the very first thing on, one, on those 95 theses was this, is all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. All of a Christian's life is one of repentance. We don't just repent once and move on our way. No, every day we just look at our lives. We, we make him first. We repent. Last but not least, enjoy, enjoy a solid cornerstone. Enjoy a solid cornerstone. Practically, you know what this looks like? This is so cool. Is tomorrow you go to work and you get a raise? That's good news. That's good. That's a, that's a win. That's a blessing. And guess what? It doesn't have to go to your head. In fact, it won't go to your head. Because your identity is not wrapped up in the promotion. You're so much deeper than that. That's beautiful because then it's going to cause us to, you know, not be arrogant, not look down our noses at other people. So good things happen to you. Great. Celebrate. But your identity is not rooted in that. But what do you go to work tomorrow and maybe you get fired tomorrow? And that's horrible. That doesn't feel good. But you know what? The good news is you've got an ident identity that's way deeper than your job. You might be disappointed, but you're not destroyed. You're not shattered. You're bigger than that. Jesus calls you loved. You're accepted. Your job doesn't have to give you that. God gives you that. See what happens? Suddenly it gives this foundation to your life. Where the, ups aren't, where the ups, you know, downs and all the stuff in between, suddenly we've got this consistency because... My good shepherd calls me by name. He knows me. He's never going to leave me. That 
is an identity that is a rock, not sifting sand.